Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Please read along as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from God, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from all the coming wrath. The work of the Lord, the word of the Lord. There you go. Hey, thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, all right. You want to take this with you? Thanks. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. I understand some of you have something called Sling TV, so you should be used to this. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, listen, this morning we are finishing up uh, our Thanksgiving series uh, entitled Our Table, a Thanksgiving Recipe. And we've been looking in to the first ten verses, or essentially... Uh, into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And in them, Paul identifies six things, which we call a recipe for Thanksgiving. The reason we call that is there are six things that Paul identifies about this young church, uh, this church that's comprised of uh, Jewish converts, uh, God-fearing uh, Jews, though, or God-fearing um, uh, followers, of uh, the Jewish God, although they weren't converts themselves. Uh, they went to the synagogue, they, they learned about the Jewish God, but they didn't fully convert to Judaism. And then the scripture says not uh, just not a few uh, influential and prominent women as well and their families. And really that's representative of a much larger number of Greek or Gentile, non-Jewish, um, what the Jews would consider pagan believers, who comprise this new church. And what we find there is this a church essentially is represented by a table. 
And uh, at that table, there is a place for everyone. And what we find is the church is a community. And those who become followers of Jesus become a part of a community. And each member of that community plays a very important part. Uh, they're essential to the life of that new body, um, to that life of, of those who are, are trying to figure out uh, their way in the world with their newfound faith in Christ. And uh, that's what's happening here at this church uh, in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. And uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they founded the church, they were essentially uh, chased out of the town. As people were converting to their new faith in Christianity, uh, there were those in the, in the community that saw that as a threat. And so they literally chased these missionaries, this missionary party, uh, right out of town. And so Paul from there goes to Berea, and then he goes to Athens, and eventually he finds his way into the southern part of Greece uh, in uh, Corinth. And he's wondering, well, whatever happened to those new believers at Thess- Thessalonica, that new church that I helped found? Uh, were they able to stand their ground? Were they able to become rooted and grounded in the faith that I taught them, uh, the word of God that was delivered to them? Uh, or... Uh, do they uh, fall prey to those who would try to sway them into their new belief and faith? Did they incorporate uh, the issues of their their prior life, uh, their their practices and beliefs uh, from the culture that they were a part of? Did they enculturate that into their new Christian faith so that they really aren't worshiping the true God of the Bible or of the Scriptures? And so that was the question Paul had. Well, lo and behold... Timothy comes and gives him a good report and says, Paul, remember those folks? They are doing great. They they are really establishing themselves. Yeah, they they have some questions. They're they're working out some issues of doctrine. One of the big issues they had was, uh, what do we do with the return of Jesus and how do we live with the belief that Jesus could return at any time. And, and so they had questions as to how they should live their life, how that affected their faith community, how they, they lived their life outside of that community uh, in the general culture. But those are all things that Paul's going to answer when he responds with this letter, 1 Thessalonians, and then uh, subsequent to that, a second letter, 2 Thessalonians. And he's going to try to answer some of those questions. But in these first 10 verses... He's going to give thanks. And he's going to let them know, I am so thankful for you and for the things I've heard about you, for the things that really uh, stand out, that are important uh, as you uh, start out as this new faith community. And so he identifies these things. There's six of them in these first ten verses. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, two each week. And so we've gone through four. Now let me go over with you the first four things that Paul identifies that are a recipe for Thanksgiving. We call it a recipe for Thanksgiving because really it is held out as a model, as an example of a recipe for how people should live together in a faith community and, and, and what their faith should look like. If you were to go and sit at their table, what would they be serving you? Okay. And the reason we call this series Our Table is because we aspire to serve up these six things. These are the six things that that we want to be known for, uh, that we can be thankful for as they are present and as we are growing in each of these things 
here at Community Covenant Church. So let's go back and review the first four of the six things that Paul identifies and gives thanks for. Number one, uh, the Thessalonians, uh, they are a faith community rooted in God's grace and love. They are rooted in God's grace and love. Secondly, they're a community characterized by faith, hope, and love. Third, they're a community committed to Jesus Christ. They keep the main things the main thing. And they are committed. They are committed to following Jesus. And then fourth, they are a community empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, They're recognizing that the community that God is calling them to be, they can't possibly become on their own. It's impossible in their own strength, in their own resource, that it's something that's supernatural. The church is designed to be a supernatural expression of Christ to the world. And in order to do that, there has to be something beyond ourselves. And that's the Holy Spirit that lives and indwells every follower of Jesus Christ. And when followers of Jesus Christ gather together in a faith community, they are guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called them to live. God has not called us to live anything that He has not empowered us to do. And, and so the question is, will we submit? Will we surrender? to the Holy Spirit in our lives so that the Holy Spirit can have full reign and guide and direct us. And so those are the four things, the four initial things that he gives thanksgiving for. But now in verses 8 through 10, we're going to look at two more that Paul gives thanks for. And I'm going to just throw in one that kind of is already identified, but I think is important uh, for us to really focus on, especially as we move into Advent. Uh, the Christmas season. So, let me read for you again verses 8 through 10. And then we'll go back through each of those three verses and we're going to identify the rest of the recipe for Thanksgiving. Do you follow? All right, open your Bibles up. First Thessalonians, and we're looking at chapter 1 and, and today verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, uh, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, I just want you, where it says the Lord's message rang out, uh, that is, is really referencing like a musical instrument. It's like l- hearing a blast from a horn or from your, your favorite instrument. It, the, the message of the gospel rang out like an instrument. Okay. To the whole area, uh, not only to Macedonia, northern Greece, but down all the way to southern Greece, Achaia, where Paul is when he gets the message about how they're doing in Corinth. Their faith is being lived out loud. People are hearing. People are, are, are saying, hey, what is going on up in Thessalonica? Jesus has transformed this community. These people are on fire for the Lord. Uh, the Holy Spirit has a hold of these people, and they are living in such a way 
that they are being transformed and that transformation is a model for other communities that are seeking to follow Jesus. And so, as we read in verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report to us what happened when we visited you. In other words, your story, your testimony, your witness of the power of God to transform your lives and form you into a faith community has become renowned. People everywhere have heard and are hearing about you. About you. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So let's look at verse 8. The fifth of the six things that Paul identifies that he gives thanks for is that the Thessalonians are a community transformed by the gospel. You have that up there, Lucas? A community transformed by the gospel. And again, that those first words there that you see, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. Why? Because the word of God got into them, transformed their lives, and as a result of that transformation, they are proclaiming, they are sharing the good news. You want to know what got into me? It can get into you. It's Jesus. And here's how. Here's the message that was entrusted to us by God's messenger, Paul, who has now been empowered for us to live through God the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let me tell you about this life-transforming message. The Gospel. That's called proclamation. They were proclaiming the good news. And the good news, literally like an instrument, was ringing out from their faith community. And so the fifth thing that Paul gives thanks for is that they are community transformed by the gospel. And they are changed in such a way that people are wanting to know what got into you so it can get into us. Something's different about how you live, how you relate to one another, how you engage the culture, the community around you. You have changed. And when the gospel gets into people, it changes people. And those people change the world in which they live. Well, missiologist Leslie Newbegin says this. I love this quote. It is impossible to stress too strongly that the beginning of mission is not an action of ours. Now, when we say we want to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world, that's great. But you know what? That, that's not, we didn't begin with that. That's not an action of ours. There's something much greater behind that. He says, it's not an action of ours, but the presence of a new reality the presence of the Spirit of God in power. 
mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. And you might remember back in verses 6 and 7 of this same passage, one of the things that Paul recognizes is that this community, this new community of Christ followers, even though they're being persecuted, even though that there are attempts to snuff them out before they get established, Paul says that they have great joy from the Holy Spirit. You see, joy that comes from the Holy Spirit isn't conditional. It's not based on our circumstance. It's something that is eternal. It's a fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Joy perseveres through every season of life. And one of the signs that that Paul saw that he knew, man, their faith is authentic is that even in the midst of persecution, even when they're opposition to their new formation of this faith community, people are trying to snuff them out. They still have great joy. And that's what begins referring to. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. Now catch this. This is why the word rang out. This is why it resounded throughout the region that people everywhere were hearing about them. Because the news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. If it's true, then it's good news. And it's good news that must be shared. It must be told. And that's exactly what was going on with the Thessalonians. So let's review again the first five things that are in the recipe for Thanksgiving. Five things that Paul identifies. Five things that we want to have present in our church, we want to grow into. They were a community rooted in God's grace and love. They were a community characterized by faith, hope, and love. They were a community committed to Jesus. They were a community empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they were a community transformed by the gospel. All right? Now, are you ready for the sixth thing that he identifies? The sixth part of the recipe. The sixth thing he gives thanks for is that they are a community that is distinguished from the dominant culture. In other words, when they came to faith in Jesus Christ, the word of God, the message of the gospel transformed their lives to the place where they were identifiably different from the culture around them. They looked different. They acted different. They responded different. They had different priorities. They began to see life and they had a worldview that was different from the dominant culture. And Paul is giving thanks for that because Paul is identifying that that is a mark of true conversion. Something has got into them and what has got into them has changed them forever has given them new life, a life that stands in distinction from the old way of living in the life of the culture around them. They are a community distinguished from the dominant culture. Verse 9 says, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see that? Their priorities changed. They turned from the gods of the culture 
that they lived in. And there were many. In the Greek culture, they were polytheists. They worshipped just, just, they were gods for everything. Especially for communities and cities. Okay? There were deities that were, that were identified with, with, with that community. And what Paul is saying, you turned from those. You turned away from the gods of your culture. To serve the true and living God. That's called demonstration. So that they proclaimed the message of the gospel. It rang out. But then they turned from their old way of living. From the things that there were the prior objects of their worship. They turned from those things. To worship the, the true and the living God. That's called demonstration. They were not only hearers of the word, but what were they? They were doers of the word. And their life was a demonstration of the reality that the Word of God is transformative and that it's true and that Jesus is alive. And He calls us to follow Him. Then we follow Him, our life changes forever. Paul gave thanks that they were a community distinguished from the dominant culture. Now check this out. Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Now here's a truth that the psalmist identifies. It was true then, and it's true now. It's as true for you and me as it was when the psalmist was writing this. Are you ready? That we become like the object that we worship. Whatever it is you worship, you will become like. And if your God or the gods of this culture are the objects of your worship, then you're going to become like them. Well, the psalmist says this is what they're like. Silver and gold made with human hands. Mouths but cannot speak. Eyes but cannot see. Ears but cannot hear. Noses that cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet that cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will those who trust in them. Do you see that? The Thessalonians turned from idols and they found the true source of life. And when they found that true source of life that's found in Jesus Christ, their lives changed forever because they were no longer worshiping the false gods of the culture, but they came into relationship, life-transforming union with a true and living God that resulted in how they lived their lives. It changed them dramatically. Richard Wormbrand, um, a Romanian pastor who um, suffered greatly during the, the persecution of, of uh, Ceausescu when he was a totalitarian dictator of Romania, during the dark days of the Iron Curtain when communism ruled and had its grip in the nation of Romania. This is what he says. By the way, if you're not familiar with him, there's a a periodical and a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. 
because he suffered persecution in Romania. Uh, he now has this magazine and this ministry where he calls attention to all the places in the world where people are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. It's a great periodical. It's a great magazine. Uh, I recommend you subscribe to it and read about it. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world that are suffering because of their testimony, because of their faith in Christ. This is what he says. There are two kinds of Christians. Those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe they believe. But you can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. What's the difference from those who truly believe and those who truly believe that they believe? Well, the difference is how they act in decisive moments. Do they turn to the false gods, to the idols of their culture? Do they put their faith and trust in them? Or are they committed to serving the true and living God? That's how you know. That's how you tell the difference. Dr. Glenn Sunshine. He's a Christian historian. And he he writes about the movement of Christianity from Jerusalem out into the world that literally changed the Roman Empire. Okay? And he follows that movement all the way to today. And he writes about it. And he identifies things that he sees. He is a student of culture. There's a lot of things that he writes currently about today's culture that I believe are prophetic. Okay? As he's traced the movement of Christ from the beginning. And he's identified something he calls synchronistic Christianity. Synchronistic Christianity. Uh, what that is is an amalgamation of, of, of different faiths and cultural practices and beliefs, combining aspects of Christian worldview with other worldviews to result in something that's really tasteful and palatable to the, to the largest number of people in our culture. Does that make sense? That's synchronizing the Christian faith. And this is what he has to say. And, and this is really relevant because this is the thing that Paul is saying, the Thessalonians, you're not doing this. And because of it, I give thanks. Let's look at Sunshine says. He says, the first thing that happens in synchronized Christianity is that it, it keeps culturally acceptable parts. In other words, it identifies things in here that that are palatable to the culture, and those are the things that we're going to hang on to. Those are the things that we're going to have in our recipe of faith. But the things that, that might not be palatable to the mainstream culture, we're, going to, we're not going to pay so much attention to, or we're going to eliminate from our, our belief and faith practice. And so when we do that, it inverts Romans 12.2. Now, Romans 12.2 says... Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Do you have that up there? Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But synchronized Christianity does the opposite. It inverts that. It says, in fact, let's conform Christianity and our Christian faith and practice to the pattern of the world so it will be acceptable to the greatest number of people. Okay? So it inverts Romans 12 too. 
Here's the second thing it does. It distances itself from the most difficult parts of our faith. The most challenging parts. The parts that stretch us. The parts that may not be congruent with the worldview of the mainstream culture. Those difficult parts, it distances itself from. And here's what happens when we do that. We distance ourselves when we say, you know, did God really say that? Did God? God couldn't have meant that. He, did, really, did he say that? Really? Well, that doesn't fit. That creates tension in my life because what would other people think if I really lived this way? Or if I called them to do the same? Or, we know better today. You know, this is a book written by goat herders, fishermen, pseudo-intellectuals. What do they know? We've come such a long way in 2,000 years, haven't we? We know better than that. The Word of God is living. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is immutable, unchangeable. And so is His Word. Or, we acknowledge what the Word of God says, but we don't practice it. We acknowledge it, but we don't practice it. That's what it means to distance ourselves from the difficult parts. And so we end up, thirdly, Sunshine identifies with what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 5. We have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. We have a form of godliness. We have a shell of what God intended, but we deny its power. And then finally, he says, that when we synchronize Christianity, it is a recipe for irrelevance. The world isn't looking for something that they already have. The world's looking for something different from what it already has. But when we synchronize Christianity, the world has a greater influence on the church than the church has in the world. And we become more like the world, and the church loses its relevance. It loses its relevance. Rod Dwyer says this, A church that looks and talks and sounds just like the world has no reason to exist. And that's what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. He's saying, I give thanks because you are a community distinguished from the dominant culture. You have turned from the worship of idols to the worship and the service of the true and living God. There's a difference. There's a distinction. And as a result, people everywhere are hearing about what's happened to you. Well, those are the six things. A community rooted in God's grace and love. A community characterized by faith, hope, and love. A community committed to Jesus Christ. A community empowered by the Holy Spirit. A community transformed by the gospel. And a community distinguished from the mainstream or dominant culture. Those are the six things. I'm going to add a seventh. Okay? And it really is in the second thing. A community characterized by faith, hope, and love. And it's this. That they were a community living for a greater hope. Do you know that the true and living God 
gives us a greater hope than the worship of false gods and idols of our culture and our time. Do you know that? Do you know that we live for a greater hope? That's good news. There's something better that's got a hold of our lives. And there are promises. There are promises that are better. They can't be found outside of the truth and living God. And we see that in verse 10. It says, And they waited for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's a time coming when Jesus is returning. Okay? And there will be a, a judgment unto punishment, and there will be a judgment unto reward. And the Thessalonians were resting in the better promise. That because their life had been transformed by Jesus Christ, that He had died for their sins, that they had been reconciled to God, that they didn't have to pay the penalty of their sin that had been done for them through Christ. Therefore, they could stand and be declared not guilty before a holy God by virtue of what Christ had done for them. And they were living for that greater hope. And because they knew that greater hope was coming, they could stand against the current and the tide of the dominant culture that that sought to snuff them out. They were resolute in their service of the true and living God because they knew that they lived for something greater than the world had to offer. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. But our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Do you hear that? That's the hope. That's the greater hope. That life in Christ and life with Christ for all eternity is an eternal glory that outweighs all the troubles, all the tension, all the difficulties that living our faith in the world may bring. Paul writes, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but it what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's a recipe for thanksgiving. Those six things. And my, my prayer is that we as a church would not only aspire, but we'd live into and we grow in every one of those things. Every single one of them. You know, as we're coming to Advent, which starts next week, Advent really is a time of waiting. And, and the Lord's coming. And we're going to celebrate His first Advent, His first coming. But we are in a time of, of awaiting His second Advent, His second coming. Okay? And as we come to communion, it is a reminder of Jesus' death on the cross for us. That he paid the price for our sins. And we remember him until he comes again. And he is coming again. And so our celebration of the first advent should usher in an anticipation 
of the second advent, of his second coming. And that's the greater hope that we live for. That's a hope that's greater than, than anything that we can encounter in life. It's a hope that's, that's greater than our greatest adversary or fear of death because Jesus conquered death. Because he lives, we'll live. Do you see that? We of all people have the most to be thankful for. And as we come to the celebration of the first advent, it should prepare our hearts and give us a longing for his second advent. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. He's coming again. And so, on that night before he went to the cross, that day called Good Friday when he died for us, the night before, he gathered his disciples and he broke bread with them. And as he broke it, he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup. And he poured it out. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out in my blood. For the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink this cup, drink this in remembrance of me. So that for 2,000 years, whenever Christ's followers gather for the Eucharist or communion, we declare Christ's death, his sacrifice on our behalf, remembering him until he comes again. And he is coming again. As surely as we celebrate his first advent, I'm telling you, there's going to be a celebration for us who trust him at his second advent. So this morning, as we come to this time of of communion, this is an open table. This is a table that Jesus has set for us. It's open to anyone who is a follower of Jesus, who says, I want to follow you. I'm following you, Jesus. And today I'm coming to this table to remember what you've done for me. Coming to begin our celebration of your first advent, Jesus, with the promise of your second coming. So this morning I invite you to come to the table. There's communion on my left and on my right and in the rear of the worship center. You're free to go to whichever table you'd like. Serve yourself. You can grab the cracker out of the bowl. Take that when you're ready. But then hold on to the cup. And we're going to drink that together as a remembrance that our Savior is coming again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, thank you that we have a recipe for thanksgiving. Lord, that all the things that Paul identifies in the first ten verses of chapter one are things that are a model for all churches, all communities of Christ followers. And Father, we want to live into those. We want to press hard into those. But we know we can't on our own. 
that is only through the power of your Spirit. And so we say, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us that we might serve up at our table here at Community Covenant Church those, those six things, Lord, that Paul identified. May they be reasons for us to be thankful. And may they be reasons that others will be thankful for us. That like the Thessalonians, our faith will ring out. That people everywhere will know about those who are Christ followers at, at Community Covenant Church. That they serve from the false gods and idols of their day. And they turn to serve the living and true God. Father, may our transformation be so radical that people can't help but notice and say, what got into you, I want it to get into me. And then we can proclaim and we can demonstrate. And Father, then we can bring Christ's hope, his healing, and his wholeness. To all who come to our table, all who are in our community and in our world. Father, would you fill our hearts with anticipation as we come to your table today, remembering that as we begin your first celebration of your first advent, that we look forward to your second coming. May our hearts be filled with the words, O come, O come, Emmanuel. To your honor and your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come as you're ready. Breathe on me, breath of God, breathe on me, breathe on me, breath of God, breathe on me. Oh, I come alive, I'm alive when you breathe on me. I come alive, I'm alive when you breathe on me. Awake, awake, awake my soul. God, resurrect these bones from death to life, 
to you alone awake my soul awake 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 my soul god resurrect these bones from death to life to you alone awake my soul Would you stand, please? As we prepare our hearts for the celebration of Advent, remembering his birth at Christmas, let's now drink together in celebration and anticipation of his second Advent. Let's drink together.